You guys can be seated. I love the Christmas season. Uh, I love the Christmas season in Arizona. I love the cactuses all lit up. It's amazing. I love the 70 plus degree weather in December. My wife and I were going for a walk yesterday and the sun was beating down on us. My wife said, it feels so warm. I said, yeah, it feels like summer in Portland. Um, we, we love this time of year. We love the Christmas season. And my favorite part of the Christmas season is movies. I don't know what your favorite part is. Mine is the, all the different movies. And some of you may be um, Christmas movie people. Some of you may be elf people. Are there those? Yeah? I don't really get it, to be honest. I know that may uh, be detrimental to your spiritual health. But I, I don't really get elf, uh, but maybe some of you do. Some of you may be the old school, it's a wonderful life. Yeah, some of you have been born recently um, and not familiar with that movie. Um, some of you are familiar with Home Alone. It's a classic in, in our day, yeah. Um, my favorite Christmas movie is a movie called The Preacher's Wife. <laughs> okay, boo. All right, Merry Christmas to you too. But yeah, a little lesser known movie, but you should totally watch it. You're, you're missing out if you haven't ever seen The Preacher's Wife. It's my favorite Christmas movie. It's Denzel Washington and Whitney Houston. That's all you need to know. You can't beat that combination. It's an amazing Christmas movie. You should go out and watch it. That's the main application of this sermon is go watch The Preacher's Wife. It's an amazing Christmas movie. And whether that's your favorite or others are your favorite, in all of our Christmas movies, at least most of them, share a piece of the Christmas story. Like in The Preacher's Wife, it's a setting in a church, and they talk about Jesus being born. Uh, in some of our other movies, they at least allude to a baby. Some of them have Christmas themes like joy, peace, and love, and hope. And so in all of our movies, they at least allude to part of the story, snippets of the Christmas story, but they often don't share the full story. And for us, even as Christians, even those of you who are here at a church service during the Christmas season, you can get wrapped up in a Christmas experience and miss the broader story. You can come to Christmas church services and only hear snippets of the story and not fully understand how this story of a baby started way before the baby, that it goes on way beyond the baby that it goes on way beyond the month of December, that it's not just a season, it's not just a day, it affects our every day, it affects our every season, that it's a story that really never ends. It's just introduced when Jesus is born as a baby, that he's eternal, that he goes on to live a life, that he goes on to die a death, that he goes on to resurrect and ascend to heaven and give us a mission that we get to participate in even today. It's a story that never ends. And so I want you to hear that story. I want you to participate in that story yourself. Over the next three weeks, we're going to go through this series called, It's a Story That Never Ends, uh, and see what is our response to this story. What are the, the deeper parts of the story that we sometimes miss, and see how that affects us, affects our lives, and see how that affects those around us. There may be people in your life that you can invite to this series who have maybe heard snippets of the story, that need to hear more and need to respond to the story. So we're going to go through that over the next three weeks. And tonight we're going to be looking at a, different, uh, a few different verses. Normally we kind of land in one passage. And so I want you to grab a Bible and just keep it handy. Uh, you might need to thumb through that at a few different points. You can also listen 
to me as well since we don't have a screen. So to give us a little context to this story is there's four Gospels. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all chronicling the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But only two of them talk about the birth of Jesus. So Matthew and Luke, we see the actual account of the birth of Jesus. But both of these stories, Matthew and Luke, have the backdrop for that story as the nation, the people of Israel. And so you need to hear a little bit about the story of Israel if we're going to really understand the story of Jesus' birth. So we all kind of know the story of Jesus' birth, right? The Virgin Mary, Jesus was born in a manger. But this was really significant for the people of Israel. And here's why. They were living in a setting of Rome, where Rome was in charge, Rome was in control, Rome was leading and domineering in a very harsh way. And in fact, the nation of Israel, um, for a long time, hadn't really heard directly from God. We have that space in between the Old and the New Testament. It's about 400 years where they didn't have clear direction and clear prophets and signs speaking to them about what was to come. And so they're under this harsh rule in Rome, feeling somewhat displaced, feeling somewhat oppressed and in fear of the political system that they're under. In fact, uh, Jesus goes on to die on a cross, but that, that's not when crosses started. Rome started that. Rome started crosses long before Jesus died on one. Like that's how they used, um, that's what they used for capital punishment. And so around the time Jesus was being born, there were people dying on crosses. So that's the setting that Israel finds themselves in. They're, they're waiting for what's next, and they find themselves under a harsh rule of Rome. But despite their situation, they clung out of desperate need. Like this, they know the Old Testament, right? They had read the prophets and know the law, and they know that something is coming. Like this isn't it, that a Savior is coming. And they get to read about that in a couple places that I want you to listen to as well. And you can thumb there if you can do so quickly. Jeremiah 23 is the first one, verses 5 through 6. It says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So that righteous branch is Jesus. That Lord that will be their righteousness, that's Jesus. This is Jeremiah the prophet, many years before this, declaring this. So the Israelites, the people of Israel, under this harsh rule of Rome, they would know this. Right? They would be looking forward, like, Jesus, when are you going to arrive? We're waiting. When are you going to show up? They're waiting on this righteous branch that will become their righteousness. I mean, you just think about what you know of the Old Testament and the Israelites, right? They didn't always follow the law to a T, right? They, they screwed things up. They jacked things up. They didn't follow the Ten Commandments like they ought. In fact, they were people just like you and I who sometimes feel like they screwed things up too bad. Sometimes feel like they can't meet, meet the righteous standard that God gives us. This is what the nation of Israel lived in. So they were really wanting to see, what is this righteousness that's going to be in our place? 
What is this righteous branch that's going to come and be our righteousness? Because we can't. We can't be that. That's just in Jeremiah. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So there was this longing that Israel had for this Savior to come, but not just to come, to dwell with them. You see shadows of that in the Old Testament in the tabernacle. They wanted to dwell with God. You see as the, uh, the people are being delivered from Egypt, they're walking through and there would be a cloud by day. That was the presence of God, the idea of God dwelling with them. Moses would go up to the top of Mount Sinai to dwell and be with God. There's this theme throughout all of Scripture that God dwells with his people. And so the nation of Israel is banking on these Old Testament prophets. They're banking on these passages that someone would come and be their righteousness, that someone would come and set up shop where they live, that someone would come and and set up a righteous rule. They're seeing the way Rome rules. They're seeing the crosses. That doesn't sound too exciting to them. There's no confusion. They didn't think that was what was coming. They were waiting for what was coming to come. And it's in the midst of this longing, this waiting, this massive story that a baby comes. Can you imagine what that was like? All this waiting, 400-ish years, they're waiting. They know they're screwing things up. They know they're sinful. They know they can't meet the requirements of the law. They're under harsh rule in Rome. They feel displaced. They feel oppressed. They're waiting for this moment to come, and then a baby arrives. A baby is announced. And some of them may have wondered, like, are you sure, God? Like, is this the way it's going to go down? Is this the way it's going to happen? I thought you were going to set up a kingdom, that it was going to be full of righteousness and love and justice. But a baby is announced, and so they would have been waiting attentively to see, how is all this going to play out? Like, God, how are you going to bring this to fruition? Like, we're going to trust you that this is going to be something more than just a baby, and you, you hear that in Matthew 1.23. So Matthew 1.23, it says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. So in this verse, you have this angel visit Mary and tell her that she is going to bear a son. That this is how the story is going to evolve. This is how it's going to all unfold. That this is going to be the fulfillment of all of God's promises, all of God's covenant, that he would come and be with them. That he would be their righteousness. That he would set up a kingdom. That he comes to 
Mary, the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to bear a son, and here's his name, Emmanuel, God is with us. This is huge. This is massive part of the story because the Israelites felt that Rome was with them. They were right in front of them. They were right before them. They would see people hanging on a cross. They would see the oppression and feel the oppression. They felt like Rome was with them. And then God shows up to Mary, a teenage girl, and says, you're going to have a baby. And that's going to signify so much more than a baby. It's going to signify that I am going to be with you. That while you're in difficult circumstances, that I'm going to be with you. That while you have been waiting for so long, that I am going to be with you. This is going to happen. That God is going to keep his promise. The Israelites hear this after such a long time in such a bad circumstance in Rome. This is good news. It's good news to us, and it was good news to them. And they don't have the luxury of, of the story, uh, knowing this ending of the story like we do. We have the whole canon of Scripture. I mean, we have all 66 books of Scripture. We can read how this story completely ends. In fact, we read in Revelation how Jesus is going to return. And so we can say, God is with us, but he's coming again. That he's going to be with us again. And, and they didn't have that. They didn't have that full story. And so as an angel comes to Mary, that's a really big deal. As, she's, as the angel says that his name is going to be Emmanuel, God with us, that was all they had. They've been waiting for 400 years. They're under this harsh rule of Rome. They had this statement of God is going to be with you. This promise being fulfilled of God is going to be with you is a huge deal for them to hear. They were clinging to those words. Jeremiah and Isaiah had spoken these words a long time ago. They had talked about that something like this was going to happen. And they're beginning to experience that now. This is a story that started way before we think it did. It goes on way longer than we think it does. It's a massive, weighty story that doesn't just affect a day or a season. It affects all of our lives. It affected the very fabric of the Israelites' lives. It's a huge deal. We've got to get that background if we're going to understand the massive weight to this story. So how does that story affect us today? Like, what does that story have to do with us today? Some of you probably think, it should matter. It should be a big deal in my life. You know, we celebrate a lot of things at Christmas. We come to church on Christmas. Some of you maybe are here, uh, and this is the only season that you ever come to church. So we think the Christmas story should matter. Like there's something deep down inside of us that says it should matter more than it does, right? It definitely should matter more than shopping. It definitely should matter more than just family, more than just food, more than just gifts, more than just Christmas trees, more than just our favorite Christmas movies. We know it should matter. Even if you don't know Jesus, you see that a little bit, right? Everybody gets a little bit more hopeful during Christmas. We don't, we don't really know why, but we just get a little bit more hopeful that maybe some things will go right in our family, that maybe some things that haven't been going right in my job will go right now. Maybe it's just the Christmas bonus that we get, 
at the end of the year. And we think Christmas is just, it feels like there's something more. It feels like it should matter whether you know Jesus or, or you don't. It feels like it should matter. And you need to know that it does. It's not just words on a page. Like, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service. I hope you come to that. We're going to read some of the Christmas story. It's going to be a little bit different. But it's not just words on a page. Maybe if you're a parent, you read the Christmas story with your kids. I know my wife and I are going through an, an Advent study with our kids. And, you know, they climb all over us. They're hanging all over us. They're, they're yelling and, and tumbling on the floor. And usually about that time, Jay and I look at each other and like, are we reading this to each other? I mean, it's, that's a good thing too, but this was supposed to be a family Advent devotional. Uh, they missed that family part. And sometimes we read it on a page, but we don't embrace it in our lives. Sometimes we read the, even the Old Testament prophecy and how it's fulfilled for the nation of Israel, how it's fulfilled for us, and we don't fully, functionally embrace it in our lives. It's more than just words on a page. It's more than just a story. It's a never-ending story. It's the story that we get invited into as believers in Jesus. It's a mission that we get to be on to declare this story to others who don't know it, to others who only hear snippets of it. Matthew's gospel captures this at the beginning, but he also captures it at the end. Listen to what it says in Matthew 28 through 20. 28, 20, sorry. Jesus has died, he's resurrected, and he's about to ascend to heaven. And he says this, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That Jesus is saying, as he was announced as a baby, that God is going to be with us, that he's still going to be with them, that he's still going to be with you that he's with us even now. So as much as the Israelites had something to look forward to, as much as the Israelites had this amazing gift given to them, you and I have that also. Jesus is saying after he's about to go to heaven and ascend to heaven, that he's still going to be with us even to the very end. That this is something we get to celebrate now. And they're celebrating downstairs. That's good. Israel's story was one of waiting, right? They were waiting on this king to come. They were waiting on this savior to come. Some of you are, are waiting. We were reading in this passage, in this story, about how God becomes a man, how God becomes a baby, how God is with us. But it's not just God being with us. It's an implication that goes way farther than that. It's the implication that God keeps his promises. Like for Israel, God kept his promises. Despite 400 years of no clear direction. Despite some harsh rule and reign and some circumstances that they weren't too happy with. God kept his promises. God keeps his promises to you. That he will be with you to the end of the age that this story will have significance in your life, that it will empower you to live a life for his glory and your joy, not just in the month of December, not just on a day, but every day, in every season, that this promise is being kept for you, that God keeps his promises. So 
That could look a lot of different ways in your life. I don't know what you're waiting on. Maybe some of you have gotten wrapped up in this Christmas season, and you think, even subconsciously, that something's going to click this Christmas season. Like with your dad that you don't have a good relationship with, and you're distant from, that maybe this Christmas will be when that clicks. For some of you, it's your spouse and your marriage, where you're saying, maybe some point this Christmas, he'll have some time off, I'll bake some cookies, We'll have some apple cider, and things will just get a little bit better. And maybe our marriage will feel alive once again. Some of you are waiting for that. You're waiting like the Israelites waited on God announcing this, that Emmanuel, that God would be with them. Some of you are waiting, thinking maybe this Christmas that will happen. Some of you with, with a sibling are waiting for a deeper relationship that would go further. Some of you are waiting just to actually talk to that sibling. Maybe you've been distant for a long time and you're waiting that maybe this Christmas season something will happen good in your family. For some of you, that's a job. Maybe you're waiting on a different job. Maybe you're waiting on a promotion. Maybe you're waiting on that Christmas bonus and you think, maybe my job will get a little bit better. Maybe it will be fulfilling for once. Maybe that's because you get a vacation, but maybe that's because something will change. Maybe something will click and something will happen Better. Maybe I'll get to see evidence that God keeps his promises, that God is with me through my family, through my job. Maybe some of you that are in school are waiting to graduate. You're waiting for exams to finally be over. You're waiting to not be so poor. You want to have a job and have income regularly and something called a paycheck. And you're waiting. Some of you are waiting on a spouse. We had our marriage seminar yesterday. Um, I think there was maybe 60% singles, uh, which is amazing, uh, on a Saturday morning that you guys came. Some of you are waiting on a spouse. Like, God, when's that going to happen? Like, do I pursue? Do I wait? Do I pray? <laughs> do I fast? How does that work? And you're waiting on a spouse. Some of you are waiting for that guy or girl to ask you out. You're waiting on that to happen. God, show me that you're with me. Show me that some of your promises are going to be met. Some of you are waiting in your spiritual life. Things have been cold and distant with God. Things haven't gone in your favor. Maybe financially, things haven't gone in your favor, and you think, God, you love me. Like, why would that happen? Things haven't gone that well in your devotional life. You just, you get up and you have no desire to read scripture. And you wonder, like, when's that day going to come where I just open up the Bible and smile and with excitement read God's word and you're waiting for something to click. Maybe some of you are waiting for something to be healed in your life. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your personal life. Maybe it's sin that you think God couldn't forgive and you're waiting. God, one day you will forgive me for this sin. And you're waiting just like Israel waited. You need to know that just like Israel was waiting, even those 400 years, just like the people of Israel were under the harsh rule of Rome and were waiting, God, when are you going to come? When's this baby going to grow up and save us and deliver us and establish that kingdom? Even like they were waiting through difficult circumstances where God didn't seem to be with them, God's promises were still true for them and God's promises are still true for you. 
this is something we have to get, that God is faithful. That despite our circumstances and despite the fact that he may not be fulfilling his promises in the way we think he should fulfill them, that he's faithful. That he's keeping his promises. God doesn't forego his promises. God doesn't abandon his promises. He was faithful to the nation of Israel. As they waited, he was faithful as this baby arrived that wasn't what they thought it was going to be. He's faithful even now today in your job, in your family, in your school, in your spiritual life. God keeps his promises. God is with you even in the midst of that waiting, even in the midst of those difficult circumstances. As we enter into the Christmas season, I want you to see the bigger story. I want you to go back and read these passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah and others that foretell the coming of the Savior. It started way before you think it started. Like God had this story in mind from the beginning. It goes on way much further than you think it does. I want you to go back and read this story afresh. I want you to go back and read the story of the crucifixion. So you might think, well, shouldn't I read Luke 2, Matthew 1? That's the time of the year, right? Yeah, read that, and then go read the fulfillment of that. Go read how Jesus was beaten. Go read how Jesus was arrested and betrayed. Go read the details. It's a few chapters. It's not a quick death. Go read the details of how that story evolves. Go read the details of how that story doesn't end with his death. That he rises from the grave to defeat sin and death. That he ascends to heaven. That he is there ruling and reigning now. And that he is coming again to rule forever. To make all things right. To make your waiting no longer. To make those difficult circumstances full of peace. The story never ends. Read that story. Embrace that story. Experience that story. Don't just get snippets of it in movies and music, even in the Bible, even as you come and sit in a church service on a Sunday. I want you to see the whole story, embrace the whole story, and declare that story to those around you who need to hear it for the first time. And so I want to end with a few questions for you to reflect on. If you have a pen, you can write these down. First question is this. What has God already done that I can rest in? Like, What has God already done that you can rest in? I mean, if you look at the world, this may surprise you, but it's not exactly like Phoenix. It's a little bit different. Like, if you step out and pan back and look at the world, there aren't churches on every block like Phoenix. There aren't Christians at your job like Phoenix. There aren't multiple Bible studies to jump into like sometimes we have in Phoenix. There's other places where being at church is a miracle. How can you rest in the fact that you are here tonight? That you made it here. I don't know how you got here. I don't know if somebody tricked you into coming. I don't know if they said, let's go downtown and do something fun, and then you showed up to a church. I don't know what happened, but you made it. I don't know if you're just busy, and you just, you made it. You're here tonight. That is a big deal. You're here involving yourself in this story. That's something to rest in. You made it here. You didn't force your way here. God brought you here. 
He has you here. You can rest in that. What do you need to rest in already instead of looking forward to what God is going to do in the future, in your family, in your job, in your school? What can you rest in now? What can you be thankful for now that God has already done? Because he's done a lot. As we think about a God who keeps his promises, a God who is with us, we only think about the future, don't we? I mean, I'm terrible at this. We have a church that we had a month to plant. And it's here. And it's functioning. And hopefully none of you hate me. And I don't hate you. So that's a win. But I only think about the future. I talked to Cam and Marty, and I think we got to get a morning slot. Man, by January, we got to get this done. Otherwise, I don't think we're going to make it. <laughs> like, I think it's all going to go down the tank. And I think we got to make this happen by January. We need a morning slot at a church. We need more ministry set up. And we need, we need these um, singles to be taken care of. We need a college thing. We're two months into our church plant. But all I can think about is, God, fulfill your promises. Come on. What's going to happen next? How are you going to be with us next? And God is saying to me through other people, which I'm thankful for, God has already kept his promise. There's a church here that didn't exist before. There's people here that know Jesus that didn't before. There's people here who are maturing in their relationship with Jesus in different ways than they have ever before in their life. They're participating in this grand meta-narrative, this story that God started way back in Genesis that unfolds in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with the life of Jesus that continues through the book of Revelation that continues here today. Be thankful for that. What can you rest in that God has already done? How has he kept his promises in your life? Through relationships, through community, through your spouse, through the fact that you're here tonight participating in a church service talking about who Jesus is. The second question is this. What are my expectations of God's promises? What are my expectations of God's promises? Sometimes we want God to fulfill his promises according to our rules and regulations. The nation of Israel wanted that, right? So they wanted a king to come in. They wanted it to be a really big scene, not in a manger. That wasn't what they had hoped for. They wanted the king to come in and, and rule and eject Rome from their authority, get rid of those crosses, not die on a cross. Like they had different ideas for what this fulfillment of his promise would look like. They wanted something different, but God had better idea. God had a better plan. It was for Jesus to come and be born as a baby and grow up and live as a man and then die and then resurrect and then at some point come again and establish that kingdom. God's plan was different. God's plan was better. They had different expectations for what fulfillment of God's promises looked like. What expectations do you have even this evening? What expectations do you have over the Christmas holidays? What expectations do you have in your life, do they line up with God's expectations? Do they line up with his rule and reign in your life? As we start this Christmas series, as you start your venture into the Christmas season, as you get busy, as family enters into the picture, 
as you watch those movies and listen to that music and maybe even go to Bible studies and talk about this. I want you to see the bigger story. I want you to see that God keeps his promises, that God is with us, that this story never ends, that despite your waiting, despite your circumstances, this story is at work even now in your life. Let's see that together. Let's embrace that together. Let's hope for that as a young, new church. Let's see that story played out through this group of people. Let's pray for that right now. Father in heaven, I do pray for this church. I pray for these men and women. Um, God, I pray that they would see the story as it, as it really is. That they wouldn't just see snippets of it. That they would see the whole of this grand narrative that you are writing. That unfolded with a baby being born in a manger that was announced to Mary that you would bear a son. He's not going to just have any name. He's going to have the name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God, that we would see how that's a fulfillment of a promise that was foretold so many years before that had so many implications, and it still does 2,000 years later. God, I pray that we as men and women would see that story that we wouldn't just come and participate even in a church service and think, well, I've heard that before. That's, that's cool. God's with us. But we, just as the Israelites, would cling to this because that's really all that we have. All we have is Jesus. All we have is this story that impacts our lives for eternity. Help us to see that. Help us to respond to that over the next few weeks. Father, we need your help and your spirit to do that, so we ask for it now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.